are you going to go? The question doesn't just refer to the wave, it goes much deeper. At the time, I'm not just scared, I'm stuck. It's a question I've been wrestling with for months and will be asked again and again whenever I need to make a change, to leap, to explore the unknown. It's a question that will end up informing my own will to wild. Welcome to Book Talk with Shelby. Uh, wait, um, I'm Dave, and isn't this supposed to be Bite Talk? Uh, hang on. Uh, oh, oh, right, right, right. This is a special week, and what you just heard was an excerpt from the new book, Will to Wild, Adventures Great and Small to Change Your Life, by renowned author and badass surfer, Shelby Stanger. In addition to author, and she has written for Outside Magazine, Surf Magazine, a wide variety of newspapers from local to national. She's also been a television reporter for from California to Colorado. And she is now the host of the REI Studios podcast, Wild Ideas Worth Living. I've been a regular listener of her podcast for several years, and I'd recommend adding it to your lineup. It's a great weekly podcast for those who love adventure and the outdoors. I've actually thought about inviting her on Bike Talk with Dave for quite a while, but when her recently published book hit the stands, I just had to reach out, and I was thrilled that she said yes. So while we talk more about surfing than cycling, I really think you'll enjoy this episode of Book Talk with Shelby. So without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, Shelby Stanger. Are you ready? I'm ready. You are my sunshine, my only sunshine. You make me happy, me happy when skies are gray. gray. That's all I know. You're awesome. I had to open with that because when do you sing that? When did you sing that? So in 2009, I was on this life-changing trip to the Mentawai Island in Indonesia, these archipelago of islands, and I had talked myself on this boat trip quit my job in marketing to become an adventure journalist and I was on this trip with all guys who were stand-up surfing these huge waves and eventually I had to get off the boat and surf them myself and every time I fell I kept getting held underwater which is a terrifying feeling especially when underwater in the Mentawis is like rocky reef with you know creatures that you don't even know are lurking below and we're hundreds of miles if not thousands of miles from the nearest hospital and so every time I fell, I kept getting scared. But there happened to be this legendary Hawaiian lifeguard stuntman on the trip with me. And he gave me advice. And he said, Shelby, every time you fall and you get held underwater, sing a song. And of course, on the boat, there was this song that was playing. And it's a classic by Don McLean. It's called American Pie. And the lyrics are, bye, bye, Miss American Pie. But the only lyrics that got stuck in my head were when he gets to this part. And this will be the day that I die. Oh, which is a terrible song to it's, sing. You don't want that in your head as you're being held so, under with like yeah, sharp coral story, under short, you. He's like, sing it, pick a different song. And I thought of, I looked up and there was a sun, sun and I was like, oh, you're my sunshine. And so now when I'm held underwater, I just, you are my sunshine, my only sunshine. And I, on repeat. So Still, that's why I day. sang that because I was being held underwater figuratively. And I was like, 
Gall. Shelby Stanger is on the line with me. I better start singing my song. Oh, you're so sweet. So you, Thank you. you got me through a nervous mo- moment there. So anyway, what a oh, treat to on. have you on. I can't make well, it's a treat to be with you. You're such a good researcher and podcaster, and you're a badass adventurer, like <laughs> yeah, to another level cute. than I am. You're you're funny. I um, I have to say that for today, we are renaming it. Instead of Bike Talk with Dave, it is Book Talk with Shelby. I love that. Yep. So there you go. Uh, pitch that Tari Eye for me, would you? Okay, we'll do that. Um, All right, dig it. I, I like biking a lot where i live the pacific coast highway you know it's full of bikes but like the cars are gnarly to bikes here for sure so it's it's tricky i feel like that's why gravels become a thing because you roads are scary and there are people texting and gravel is a much safer zone so yeah i hear you i'd love to ride the pacific coast highway maybe at what 5 a.m before traffic maybe It's a little bit better then. But a friend of ours started this, the Belgian waffle ride, and it seems to be crushing it. Oh, my gosh. It's one of the biggies for sure. You know that dude? Yeah. Michael Marks. Wow. That's awesome. He's a great guy. Has he been on? He he hasn't been on, but he should be on your podcast. He's a really interesting guy. He's like, has the record for the beer mile. I mean, he's a fascinating dude. Huh. He definitely should be on both of ours. We'll both hit him up. (laughs) Hey, Shelby said, and you can say, hey, Dave said. Perfect. So, yeah, we'll hit them up. That's cool. Um, so you are, I, I've kind of been through your resume on my open. I'll, I'll, I'll type out an open and, and hit that before we come on. So everybody knows that you're an author, you're a podcaster, you're a journalist, uh, and you're a badass surfer. And I well, want to hear, I live in Iowa. I've lived in Iowa. I haven't, I live in Colorado and Ohio as well, but not on the coast. So I don't surf, but I... I love mountain biking and I love downhill skiing. And Mm -hmm. although I don't do it much because I don't have a boat, I love water skiing. And I feel like surfing is kind of right in that same realm. But I want to hear it from you because that's like, I mean, what do you got back there? A dozen surfboards? Yeah, we have a lot of surfboards. But first of all, I'm not a good surfer. Terrible You're not a good surfer? You can't even say that. I can stand up and ride down a wave. I enjoy it. I have terrible style, but I have an epic smile. I go. I don't go on anything like giant anymore or even that much over my head, but I enjoy it. I enjoy just being in the water, paddling out, catching waves. Right now it's summertime in San Diego where I'm at, and the waves are like one to two foot. So it's pretty, pretty, pretty minor. Um, nothing heavy. The water's warm. It's easy, and I've been having a lot of fun taking my niece and nephew surfing, which is really enjoyable to me, and they're young. Um, But water skiing is actually where I got my start. I went to this camp as a little kid where you could take water skiing, sailing, kayaking, or surfing in the morning. And the instructors for the water ski program were from SeaWorld, and they were really good. And slalom skiing was really cool. I mean, this was the late 80s, so water skiing was hot. And um, yeah, I learned to water ski, and I love the feeling of gliding on water. And that's basically what surfing is. You're just on a wave, not a man-made boat wake, but they're both super fun and enjoyable. It's just, I mean, both can be hard to access. You know, you have to access waves to surf, but water skiing, you need a boat and a driver, and um, it can be a lot of fun. And now there's wake surfing, and you can wake surf, which is super fun. I just saw a post of, I think that was you doing it. Were you just wake surfing recently? I wasn't doing it recently, but um, I've done it a few times, and I'm about to book a trip to go again, possibly oh. in Big Bear Lake. We'll see. 
Oh, cool. Yeah. That, that sounds like cold water. I don't know. That's a good question. <laughs> I have to do some research. <laughs> well, it sounds like it might be in the mountains, and they had it a lot of snow. Mountains. It probably is freezing. You're right. I'm curious what, like, surfing seems like a religion. Like, every time I open Outside Magazine or turn on um, Outside TV or uh, Red Bull TV or Adventure TV, like, three quarters of the time they're surfing. So it must be, like, there's something about it. I think it's a sexy sport. I think it's, like, one of those sports where you're in nature. It's unpredictable. No wave is ever the same. You know, with mountains, the mountain changes, but, like, it's the same. It's the mountain. Waves are so different, and it's just the, one of the most freeing sports ever. And I think all of us are attracted to nature and to outdoor activities because we love the feeling of being in the present moment. And I think mountain biking, surfing, water skiing sort of tricks you into almost meditating and being present because you have to focus when you're riding a mountain bike down a fast hill or riding a wave or you'll fall. And I think a lot of us are just attracted to that feeling. I also think surfing has a really cool culture. It's fun. It's a little edgy. It's a little more mainstream now, but it's just fun. You know, it's playful. All of us loved being kids and playing and having that freedom. And that's what these sports do. Going down crazy miles per hour on your mountain bike, I'm sure just makes you feel like you're a 12 year old kid again. And that's what surfing does for me every time. hundred percent. It's exactly right. You know, we do hit the ocean now and again, and I haven't been enough to even have stood on a, or even tried to stand on a surfboard, but uh, boogie board for sure. Like every time we go to Florida or wherever, like, we go buy a new boogie board because the old one's eight years old and we have a new... They're great. It's so much... I'm like a kid in the waves for like from sunup to sundown and I come awesome. out burnt to a crisp and <laughs> hungry as a horse and I love it. I'm just smiling ear to ear. Uh, next time in, I'm in uh, San Diego area, you're teaching me to surf? Well, there's actually this group called the Boogie Board Wave Chasers that you should hang out with there are these women who are 56 so maybe a little bit older than you to oh 96. you're so nice the oldest one is 96 and they ride waves three times a week in the pacific ocean and they are like the largest boogie board club in the world and they charge um otherwise i'd probably send you to surf diva i i, I don't teach as much surfing as, as i'd like to anymore i don't teach surfing at all but um except for to my niece and nephews but i'll go out with you and i'll cheer you on <laughs> deal, deal. I'll be hanging out with the 96-year-olds. Or I'll, I'll get you a really cute, fun instructor from Surf Diva, which will be super great. Perfect. I love it. I love it. You have an interesting storyline, and I think I sent in an email that we could either go down, like, your life as an adventurer, which you've done some epic, epic shit, and then, like, you dive into corporate world with vans, which is super cool. One question I have, and it's been a topic of conversation in my household recently. Uh, are vans still like hip? I don't know, man. They go in and out. I think they're always hip. And they're, <laughs> Fair enough. They're, they're always super cool. But I, I see kids rotate between chucks and vans. And it's been like that for the last forever, basically. People wear chucks, they'll be hip. And then vans will be hip. Certain people gravitate toward vans. Certain people gravitate towards uh, Converse, but I, I think vans are still hip. I, I see all the cool kids around me wearing them. Do you still wear them? 
I wear no shoes, which is like part of the reason why I had a hard time working at a shoe company. Like I definitely still wear them, especially, um, you know, with the right outfit. But I, I, I kind of rebel against shoes. Like I love being barefoot or in sandals. It's kind of embarrassing, but I have like long finger toes. Like my toes are really <laughs> long. So like any toe, any shoes are uncomfortable for me and I'm a runner. So I really like, uh, yeah, shoes that free your toes a yeah, little bit. Do you run without shoes? I don't, but I wear wide um, shoes. So I wear like ultras. Yeah. I love ultras. They're wide toe box and that's, that's what I run in. I have spent a lot of time with the author, Chris McDougall, who has endorsed barefoot running and he runs in Vivo barefoot shoes, which are great. My husband partner, he runs in those and loves them. Um, so I'm not opposed to it, but I like shoes, ultras, sort of yeah. what I run in. <laughs> yeah. McDougal definitely got me to take my shoes off and awesome. trot up the hill behind my house to try and strengthen my feet. Cause I get it. Like I totally bought dude. into that book. Yeah. I did well, too. he seems it for sure. I did it for a while. I've just like, run on glass <laughs> it's too many times i have too many right. cuts on my feet and scars from surfing that i'm like ah i'll just wear shoes yep yeah that's probably smart do you wear shoes like surfing i don't wear I shoes surfing I'm barefoot surfing even when there's coral and sharp things on the um every now and then i'll wear like reef booties if it's really yeah. sharp and uh, it's a new spot but you just do your best and try yeah. not to fall so you did you worked at vans what'd you do at vans um, I had this dream job. I mean, right away I was hired to be the journalist for the Vans Warp Tour when I was pretty young out of college and I got to spend 60 days on a tour bus. The Warp Tour is a punk rock concert series that traveled to 60 cities in 60 days and I wrote a story every day about what happened on the tour and then I tried to feature some aspect, whether it was a nonprofit or a certain skateboarder or a musician and took a lot of pictures on an early digital camera and then I had to send them. But back then there was only dial up. And so I had to find a phone line, which meant sometimes hitchhiking with someone who looked like they weren't going to kill me and trading them a free Vans t-shirt. Vans was a super generous company. They let me give away shirts and they're just good, good people. And then I went and did something else. I worked in Breckenridge, Colorado right after the warp tour as a, TV journalist. I did some PR. I wrote for the local newspaper. I fell in love with a guy who owned a music venue and I had a good time. Stayed there for about two years, took a corporate job again back in Orange County, hated it. And immediately there was a position open at Vans to do women's marketing and PR. And I really wanted to keep pursuing journalism, but there wasn't adventure journalism. Like I kept trying. This was around 2002, three, four, five, those years. I had contacted the LA Times, I had interned at CNN, and there just wasn't a full-time position to write about outdoor sports. And I figured at Vans, I could at least be connected to the culture. And so I had this dream job. I was in charge of women's marketing and PR. I, they probably shouldn't have given me the job. <laughs> like there's probably someone from Google who has that job now and like several people who run it. I was very young, I was very green and I think they quickly realized I wasn't good at styling other people on photo shoots, mm, let alone right. myself. I'm not a great dresser. Um, but they were kind enough to, instead of fire me, move me to international marketing and sales. And I was on this team of two and we traveled around the country trying to make sure that vans showed up that globally consistent, but locally relevant. 
around mostly South America, Latin America, Canada, Australia, New Zealand, parts of Asia. It was, it was super cool. So quitting that job was hard because it was like a dream job. And I'm sure I would have stayed if there was working from home, but I wanted to surf in the middle of the day. I really wanted to go back to writing. And I just had this, like, I wonder if that was gnawing at the back of my head. And it was a really challenging time for me. I was 29 when I was really wrestling with whether to quit Vans or not. And it didn't make sense on paper. It was the height of the recession in 2009. And eventually I decided to leap. I'm going to encourage people to dive into your book and get the whole story of your leap because that's a great story. And I feel like you're doing a lot of, uh, of your book uh, here, which is awesome. But you basically end up in Costa Rica for a bit teaching surfing, doing some guiding. Yeah, I did some. Well, I was an outdoor surf instructor. I was like a surf instructor to mostly women. And sometimes families would come and guys would come. And a lot of the women who would come were trying to get over their own fears. And I think Will to Wild is all about getting over fear and using adventure as a catalyst to do so. But in teaching other women to surf, I got over a lot of my fears as well. There's really no better job in the world than teaching someone how to do something outdoors and changing their life. I mean, you could be a doctor and change someone's life. Absolutely. But you have to go to medical school school and you got to see blood and it's hard. Um, (laughs) But I feel like teaching surfing, I mean, you have the lives of sometimes really important people in your hand and you're showing them this magical thing that they then have for the rest of their life. And they usually, they usually come home pretty changed themselves. That's kind of cool. So I'm really curious about the transition from Costa Rica to you now have a podcast that you've been cranking off 255 episodes. Like, how did that happen? Like, I don't, I'm not seeing that tie there. Yeah, I had a lot of jobs. While I was in Costa Rica, I continued to be a freelance journalist and I would consult for different action sports and outdoor companies. And one of the gigs I had right after quitting my job at Vans to kind of go out on my own was to be the journalist for a site called shopeatsurf.com. It's a funny name, but the woman who started it was a journalist from the Orange County Register. She's really great. Her and her husband, they're business reporters. And the site covered the business of the outdoor and action sports industry. So my job was I'd go to these trade shows every year, twice a year to a couple of them. And I'd interview as many people as I could about their business. And most of them were executives at the company. So I learned a lot about business. And in time, after writing about so many entrepreneurs, I decided I wanted to become one myself. But I didn't want to start another outdoor company. I didn't want to start a t-shirt company or way too much work, too much inventory. There was plenty of shoe companies, plenty of t-shirt companies in the world. And I knew media. And at the time, I had been listening to podcasts, mostly Tim Ferriss's podcast. Um, My my partner, he listened to Tim Ferriss. He loved it. And I loved Tim's show, but I'd wished he'd interviewed more adventurers. That's just what got me excited. He interviewed a lot of people in tech and business and great. That's like not that exciting to me, but some of it is. Um, And so a couple of friends suggested I start a podcast. And at the time, podcasts weren't brand new, but they were still not as mainstream as they are today. You still had to take a class to learn the tech and figure it out. 
it wasn't as easy as it is, it is today. But a friend of mine suggested I take a business accelerator course where the first day you write your business plan and the last day, 12 weeks later, you present your business, which in my case would be a podcast, to a team of investors. And I just thought that sounded radical. You had to have skin in the game. I was paying to make it happen. It was like going to business school without having to like spend a ton of money and go there for two years. And in 12 weeks, it would force me to start a podcast. So I did it. And that's pretty much how I started Wild Ideas Worth Living. That's awesome. And I, I'm, I'm pretty blown away that 2016 you started. And I mean, you're right. Podcasts weren't... Right now, everybody has a podcast. I feel like, um, who's the crab on The Little Mermaid? Sebastian? <laughs> Sebastian. That... I feel like Sebastian. I have a podcast. Because everybody has a podcast, right? Like, oh, there's a podcast on this and that and the other thing. It's so like being an actor in LA, I know. You're like, <laughs> oh, you're an actor? <laughs> it oh. is. I mean, truly, anybody with an iPhone, wherever my phone went, can be a podcaster. Like that's, that's how easy it is today. I, I have a podcast and I didn't write a business plan. But it's I didn't... not easy. Like I think no, that's for the, sure. the misconception. Most people can start a podcast. Most people can't get past show three. Yep. I would, I see that for sure. You have to be very intentional and always be ahead of the game for sure. And you got to want to do it. You definitely got to want to do it. You definitely got to want to do it. For sure. Um, but even in 2016, I'm just kind of blown away that you saw this as a business opportunity because I still don't know that I do. Like, there's so many. There's so much static out there. Yeah, there's, that... there's a lot of content. At the time, you know, in my little world of action and outdoor sports, I didn't see anything else out there that was a podcast except for the Dirtbag Diaries. Those guys mm. were way ahead of the game, but they weren't covering surfing and some of the sports that I was interested in covering and they weren't covering business. Like I was interested, I looked back over my life and even as a 19 year old, I had this column in the local community newspapers where I covered people who were biking across the country or setting records, surfing waves, starting businesses. And it's weird, but I've always been obsessed with people who've taken the road less traveled and had a wild idea. One that someone said, you're crazy for doing. I got a lot of crap when I quit my job at Vance. People are like, why? Why would you give up this job that everybody wants at the height of the recession to go be a journalist? You're, you're going to die. Like that's basically what everybody said. Like you're going to fail. And the truth is if I'd stayed at Vans, Vans, I probably would have a lot more money in my bank account. It's possible. That, that that it might have happened. But I've had this life that I wouldn't trade and so many opportunities. I've got to meet so many people and it's been really cool and really rewarding. So I saw it as a business because no one else in like the space was really doing it. I didn't see, I, I actually hit up magazines. I hit up outside. I hit up um, Surfer Magazine and that whole group. And they're like, yeah, Shelby, we're just not in podcast world. I was like, okay, well, you better get on the train or <laughs> you're going to hurt. Yeah, REI was early to the game. They were really open to talking right away. I mean, they weren't ready to sponsor the podcast right away, but they they were pretty aware of the content game. They've got some smart people over there. So mm -hmm. I was lucky. 
Um, it sounds like you are enjoying that relationship still. I love REI. I think they're a great company. And, you know, my goal when I started the podcast was to encourage people to go for it, using the outdoors as a catalyst to do so. And I can't think of a better brand that helps people get outside than REI. I had a life-changing trip when I was 16. I went and lived in this village in Costa Rica. It was a volunteer trip, but I got all my gear at REI. You know, it was simple gear. It was a backpack, a pad, thin mattress pad, and like maybe even a duffel bag there. But I, oh, I got a rain jacket there that I kept forever. And you know, you have to have gear to go on some of these adventures. And my first touch point was REI. No, it's a perfect, uh, perfect fit, perfect relationship. It's kind of cool. It is cool. And they're, they're pretty smart when it comes to podcasting. So I'm lucky. So you were 16 when, when uh, you went on your first trip. So that was what, 10 years ago? Yeah. 10. Yeah. That's what I thought. 26 now. <laughs> so, okay. The maturity level. 255 episodes later. Um, mermaid. So I, I don't know if he's like, you <laughs> guys call himself a mermaid. That, that, that struck me funny uh, too. That's cool. But that's cool. I, he I was, just said it as if it's just another word. So yeah, my girlfriend's a mermaid and blah, blah, blah. And you're like, wait, what did you say? Mermaid? Um, <laughs> that, that yeah. Was so awesome. today's guest is pretty funny. Um, he's a free diver and I worked for body glove, which is a, the original diving company. And I've spent a lot of time with scuba divers and free divers. And my team is really incredible. They found this guy, BJ Griffith, who's a musician, like a really good musician. In fact, we just found out he's going to be on America's Got Talent because he's so dang talented. But he's also this free diver. And he does these beautiful dances when he free dives. And he wears elaborate, colored, beautiful shirts and he dives in like these beautiful springs in Florida. He lives in Virginia beach. He goes places that I'd never would have thought existed there to dive. And it's changed his life. It's changed his health. It's changed his relationship with himself. And he's brought tons of other people to the sport in the most unique way. Now there is this culture of people who like to dress up as mermaids. And something I learned about when I was at body glove, there was a woman that we sponsored who was like Miss International something and they did these photo shoots and dressed as mermaids and like there's a culture of them. It definitely made me giggle at first, but I don't know. It's cool. I think however you get into the outdoors, like go for it. If you want to wear a mermaid tail and learn to free dive and you're going to go free dive crazy feet that I would never even attempt. I think that's pretty radical. And if the, the, the movie, the little mermaid inspired you. Awesome. Is there somebody who stands out as when you were most blown away by your conversation? I, I would imagine you have pretty good research into your guests. Is there? Yeah, I I mean, it's it's like the people you would think. Like Alex Honnold was always a delight to talk to. Cheryl Strayed's a delight to talk to. I loved interviewing this guy who was one of the rescue cave divers that rescued the Thai oh. soccer team that was stuck in the cave. He's a British guy kind of an interesting personality and like lives for his craft of diving and life-saving. And I think whenever you meet someone who is just so passionate about what they do, it's pretty attractive. So I've interviewed a lot of people, but the people who are most, most passionate about what they do, 
those people always excite me the most, especially if they're excited about something that people find completely wild and weird to be attracted to. Like rescue cave diving, which would scare me to death. Like, yeah, I mean, it wasn't even his like goal to be a rescue cave diver. It's just something that you have to kind of do when you're doing this niche sport because the risk for error and failure and consequences are so high that you have to also know how to help people. Is there a guest you've had that you were surprised said yes? Yeah. I think recently I was surprised someone said yes so easily, but I can't remember. So come back to me on that one. That's a really good question. (laughs) Was it Shelby Stanger on book talk with Shelby? That was an easy. Yes. That was an easy. Yes. (laughs) Oh, you're too kind. Um, I, I literally love talking to people and they give me great ideas. Like I've just in the past year and a half since I've been doing this, we've gone to Texas because of this, we're going to Nebraska for a bike ride. And like, you just meet awesome people, right? Yes. Has anyone inspired you to do something that you never expected to do, or maybe you were afraid to, to jump into? Has anyone inspired me to try something that I've never done before? Yeah, one of your guests. You know, I had a bunch of cyclists on recently who've inspired me to try gravel cycling, and I still haven't done it. And I had a guest inspire me to try ice climbing, and I booked the trip last year, and I got sick. So that's something that's still, those two things are on my list, ice climbing and gravel cycling. Awesome. Well, you always have a home here in the middle of Iowa to uh, hop on a gravel bike. I love that. Thank you. Your book just came out June, uh, a month ago yesterday. Congratulations. A month ago. It felt like 300 days the last 30 days. <laughs> I, gosh, you've looked busy. You look like you've been everywhere and signing thousands of books and telling thousands of stories. Maybe I'm a good, good promoter, but I, I don't know if I've signed thousands of books yet. I, I've signed maybe a couple hundred, but... Yeah, it's been a whirlwind. It's been rewarding. It's been crazy. It's been fun. But I also decided to do my first TEDx talk and it fell on the exact same month. So and it was like everybody's birthday that I know because I was born in June. And so all my friends were also born in June and another family, two family members were born in June. So it was pretty nonstop. I'm surprised I didn't get totally sick. I shook a lot of hands and I'm not near people because I'm a podcast host. So I like live in my own world, <laughs> right? but, um, it was really joyful and rewarding to get to connect to people in real life on the book tour and meet people, especially people who resonated with the podcast that, you know, podcasting, you're behind a microphone in a screen and you don't get to connect with people and I'm a social person. So connecting with people in real life, I mean, we're so lucky that the pandemic is like for right now over and we don't have to deal with that stuff and we can greet each other in person again which just I don't know I was ready for in-person hugs and I got a lot of them so it was awesome well you deserve it. your book's great uh, I've been you. through it one and a half times in my ear I love I love when an author reads their own stuff so to be Thank able you. to audible your book and plug it into my head and have you in my head for I don't know 11 hours and 56 minutes or whatever it is it's a long time thank you like, how long has that book been percolating in your head? Was it a result to the podcast or in addition to the podcast? Like, have you always had a book in the back of your head? 
yeah i mean i've been wanting to write a book since i was like 20 something and i started writing one then i started writing one again right after i quit my job at vans i started writing it again at like early 30s they started writing another one and a lot of those stories that i started writing were in the book you know the the story about the woman i taught to surf who had some fear and i had to shout a certain word at her to make her <laughs> laugh that story i wrote a long time ago i wrote the story about the time my father passed away spoiler alert it's in like the first page too so but i wrote that when i was really young like 12 and i wrote different versions of the story about dropping into a wave that scared me a bunch of times I wrote the story about paddling a portion of the Amazon for a couple magazines. So my stories had been percolating for a long time. The stories of other people, you know, they were kind of fresh. I had to go research. It was hard sometimes to get other people's stories, but the concepts that fill the chapters of Will to Wild, those have been percolating in my head pretty much since I started the podcast and had to give my first talk. So I did this talk it was kind of like a TED talk, but at this place called Creative Mornings. And I talked about the concepts of wild ideas and how to go from idea to actually launching one. And I kept doing different versions of that talk. And that's when I knew I had a book in me. So as you crafted the book, did you have to like dig through old episodes? to Because a lot of the stories of your podcast... I did it. I thought it was going to be easy. I thought I was going to just like be able to grab transcripts and like plug and play. But then, you know, when you do a podcast with someone, you talk to them for an hour and that's it. There's so many things I needed to fill in. So I had to call people like a hundred times back and forth. And it was a little annoying and tedious, but I got to talk to some of the characters in the book a lot, which was nice. So you had kind of this outline of um, from will to wild, from dreaming the dream to putting it into action and, and, and dropping into the wave, so to speak. Was it super hard to choose? So hard, like to choose who to actually include? Yeah. So you've got to cultivate community is chapter six. Like how did you come up with the stories that fill the cultivate community chapter? Well, I knew I wanted to talk about community and I knew I wanted to talk about haters and there'd been a bunch of people who talked to me about when you have a wild idea it really helps to have a community but sometimes when you're doing a wild idea that's especially controversial to certain groups in the world you might have haters and there were two people that kind of experienced that that I knew I wanted to include and then I kept doing more podcast interviews and more podcast interviews and finding all these community groups and you know there was this group I discovered um, that someone told me about in Australia that, you know, they surfed in bright colors to talk about the invisible topic of mental health. And at the time when I met them, that was just such a radical idea. So I wanted to talk about their community. Uh, so it was hard. I, it was hard to figure out who to include and who not to include, but I just sort of thought about who came to top of mind first and I included them and you know, some things just got cut in the editing room. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. You know, I wrote down a bunch of stuff about like, did the lessons come first and then the podcast fill in the lessons or did the lessons come out of your conversations with people? And I feel like you kind of answered that. I think it was both. Like some of the lessons 
came from the podcast and talking to people over and over about these themes. And there were some lessons that, you know, I kept hearing from adventures that hadn't been really talked about on paper. And that was things like imposter syndrome, fear of failure, and also what to do when you finish an adventure, especially when you experience post-adventure fatigue or depression, which like a lot of books glorify adventure finish lines and they're not always glorious. They're often really anticlimactic and kind of a bummer. And, you know, I interviewed a lot of adventurers who experienced like depression after like a huge adventure. And I wanted to tackle that to say, Hey, you're not alone. If you feel this way, it's normal. And here's how to get help or deal with it because I don't know, it kind of stinks to go tell someone to go out and do an adventure. They go do one and then they have this like giant come down at the end. Re-entry is a real thing and it takes some getting used to. And I think the bigger the adventure, the more you have to prepare for your transition back to everyday life. And most of all, like figure out how to carry that sense of adventure into your everyday life. Maybe that's telling your story and giving back and paying it forward or continuing to have little adventures. But you know, life is an adventure. So I tried to tie in that theme as well. Yeah, you did a, a great job of that for sure. Thank you. What do you hope somebody gets out of this book? I hope that they decide to do an adventure, big or small. And that can mean just looking up at the stars, making a commitment to watch the sunrise, having your tea or coffee, you know, in the morning, watching, depending on where you live, the sun, sunrise, um, over the mountains, over the ocean, and having a little bit of a relationship with nature, whatever that looks like for you. Awesome. I love it. Is that different than your uh, what you hope somebody gets out of your podcast? I hope when people listen to the podcast, they get a little bit more courage to pursue whatever their wild idea is. So they're similar, but different. What was it like when you first walk into an REI and you look and on the shelf is your book. It happened the other day and it was so cool. I was so stoked. It happened in Utah. That was the first time I went into REI and it was awesome. And the cool thing is it was right next to a bunch of my friends' books. So it was next to Barney Scoutman who wrote a book about the Pacific Crest Trail and he's in my book. And it was next to a book by Bonnie Tsui who wrote Why We Swim, who I know from surfing. Chris McDougal's Born to Run 2 was also next to it. And the woman who started She Explores podcast, Gail Straub, her book was right there on the shelf. So I thought it was pretty cool. I was like, oh, this is so cute. Like I'm surrounded by all my buddies on the bookshelf. That's awesome. Like that's luminary. That is luminary. I love that. Thank you. What's Shelby Stanger's What's your wild idea? What's what's still percolating in the back of your brain that you haven't done? Because you've done some incredible... Nothing. Right now, radical rest is like something that I'm working towards now. Like how do I, how do I balance resting with working? Because the last month I worked, the last two, three months leading up to the book launch, I worked harder than I've worked in a really long time. And part of why I quit my job was because in 09 was... I was working at a pace that was like unsustainable because I was pursuing journalism on top of a full-time real job. And I want to go back to working hard, but also 
you know, resting hard. And I think I'm doing that right now, which has been really cool. But there's nothing on my bucket list. People keep asking me, Shelby, what's next? And honestly, I'm telling them like, just radical relaxation is next. That's my answer. And I know I've done enough of this wild ideaing that I know that I have to give myself the amount of rest that I need in order to develop another wild idea again. And um, right now I'm just really enjoying the results of this book, connecting with people like you, connecting with readers in real life. And then, you know, I know, I mean, there's a couple of ideas percolating, but they're not like giving me those electrical lightning pulses yet. And when they do, I'll be ready. But for right now, I'm just going to let the ideas simmer in the back burner of my mind. I feel like radical rest is a wild idea in today's day and age, isn't it? <laughs> Probably is, huh? <laughs> like, how do you do that? That's, wow. I th maybe that's your next book. Radical rest. I love that. Maybe that is. Thank you. When you figure that out and you share it with the rest of us and so we can implement it into our lives. What was an unexpected gift that you received from doing your podcast? I mean, I think it's just the people that have reached out and said, wow, your podcast motivated me to bike across the country with so-and-so or, you know, one of, I'd say the most unexpected gift was someone who listens and has been part of the podcast, found a way to raise money for an organization that I'm a part of called Outdoor Outreach, and they raised a substantial amount of money. That was really an unexpected gift. And then just meeting, you know, so many interesting people and connecting with REI. Like I didn't know that REI would end up coming on board and buying wild ideas worth living. And that's been a really good gift. And the people they've brought on to run the show are really cool. So I've been really lucky that way. Uh, what about the book? I know it's fresh and brand new and maybe the gift came even before it hit newsstands, but what, what's a gift the book has given you? The funnest part about the book is I've gone only to three places, LA, Utah, in San Diego. I was supposed to go to Los Angeles again tomorrow, but I just canceled the event because I'm exhausted and I don't know, we didn't even promote it. So I, I think we got to wait a little bit, but it's been having friends from like my past life come out of the woodwork and come to these events. That has been so fun. And I think the thread that has tied them all together is I was part of this woman's surf school since 1996, Surf Diva. And the first camp cook chef was at the event in Utah, and so was um, one of the guys that hung around with us. He was at the event in Utah, and then the girls from Surf Diva came to my book event in La Jolla. And, you know, us female surfers, at least to my friends from Surf Diva, we're a pretty rowdy crew. So it made a traditional book event very fun and exciting because there was a lot of, like, yahoos and some really funny and appropriate comments, and, you know, it was just fun. Wild times. <laughs> Do you have an OF moment that you can share? <laughs> so many. Before the book came out, I had a lot of OF moments. Like I had some things that were factually wrong. I found errors in the book. I had someone who wanted me to change out a story last minute after the galley came out and the book wasn't out. I mean, I've had a lot of OF moments. The one in the book was pretty classic. You know, I, I locked myself in a bathroom in the beach that was public and it smelled terrible. And I reason I locked myself in that bathroom is 
not my fault. It looked like the cleanest bathroom. But the reason why it was the cleanest bathroom is because it had been out of service. But the door was open. And as soon as I shut the door, it clicked funny. And I realized, OMG, like it looked funny on the outside. I think I locked myself in. And uh, yeah, that was like a horrifying moment. Like getting locked in an elevator or a bathroom is like, I still have to go to the, when I go to public bathrooms, like I still like have to kind of leave the door open and have someone (laughs) stand in front of me because I think I have like this deep ingrained fear of getting locked into a bathroom again. That was a traumatic OF moment. It was pretty traumatic. It was pretty traumatic. And, uh, you know, I've had a lot of small OF moments. I've, I've taken Johnny's wetsuit instead of mine to like a surf trip, which was super annoying because we're not the same size. He's quite a bit bigger than I am. Um, you know, I've taken, you know, it's like taking two left shoes on a trip. It's just totally not convenient, but that was the biggest one. I haven't had any super scary moments in the wild where I fear for my life. Yeah. That I can well, remember. That's good. I hope yeah. you don't. Yeah. I try not to put myself in those situations at this point in my life. I'm over 40 and I don't see the point. You get to ask anybody on earth and they have to say yes to be on your podcast. Who would you ask? Who is my dream guest? Gosh, who do I have that I haven't had on that I keep wanting to have? You've had some freaking awesome guests. I mean, you mentioned you just ripped through like Alex Honnold and uh this sounds this sounds so weird but like right now I wish Jonah Hill would come on my podcast because he just started surfing and he came out with this great movie about mental health that I thought was so wonderful and he was very kind to my mom when she confused him with someone else at a place in LA and he went along with it and gave her a big hug anyway. And I just thought he was so sweet. And I don't know. I think he would be like the guest I'd want to talk to. Like I get, it. it's not the president of the United States. It's not, I just think that like he's doing cool things in the world and he's into surfing and I don't know. I kind of like what he's doing. And seems like a nice guy. seems like a super nice guy. Yeah. I bet you two would have a blast. I think you should ask I would, him. I would think so. And I love comedians. So pretty much anybody who's a comedian, I would love to have on the show. I love this show called Never Have I Ever. And the character is this like badass, smart female. Like she's Indian and she's a stud and she's a nerd. And I love that like the heroes are the smart girls in school. So I'd probably want to interview also like the creator of that Mindy Kaling she's pretty cool I don't know if she hikes or does any adventures but she seems like a cool one to interview as well a Um, wild idea can be anything it doesn't have to be hiking to the top of Mount Everest doesn't it It could be like hey I want to do a I want to do a podcast humor for me is really important it's something that I've used as a skill to get through some hard times I think it's an underrated skill that has been used in the wild. Big wave surfers use humor to break the tension. Rock climbers use it to break the tension. And it's something we've kind of collectively lost as a society, but it brings us together. So anybody who can is a great writer, I would love to interview them, especially if they're a great comedy writer. Awesome. How long are you going to keep doing this? 
as long as they let me, as long as they keep my contract, <laughs> I'll, I'll do it forever. I mean, I could interview people about their wild ideas. I don't know. I could see myself doing this forever, but you know, who knows? I really don't know what's next and what life brings. And I mean, I just saw this on Ted Lasso. Like he said something, he's like, look, we don't know what's going to happen next. And that would be so boring if we did. And life is a great adventure. If we knew exactly what would happen, we would be so bored today. So I'm keeping my eyes open. I'm going to continue to do the work. I really want to do more speaking. So I'm putting it out there that I can do more speaking at schools. And I really want to work with more, especially like teenage to college kids aged people. I love young people. I think it's challenging growing up today with social media and technology. It's going to continue to be challenging. And I don't know if I can offer some words of encouragement to that generation. That would be awesome. I think kids are pretty smart today and they're, they're really cool and it's, it's hard being a kid today. So, um, you know, I feel for parents and, and I also feel for kids and if I can help them, I would love to. Sweet. Well, I think you'd be great at it. Thank you. So tell me, how does somebody find your book? You can get will to wild adventures, great and small to change your life. Anywhere books are sold. You can get it at REI.com, at Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com, at Goodreads, or my website, ShelbyStanger.com, or even WillToWild.com, which you can get to through ShelbyStanger.com. And I'm easy to find. I'm just Shelby Stanger on Instagram, and I'm ShelbyStanger.com online. And I have two podcasts, Wild Ideas Worth Living and Vitamin Joy. Vitamin Joy has been put on pause until I get the energy to bring it back. Because as we said, podcasts are not easy. So we'll see if I get motivated to do that again. I enjoy having you in my ear every week. So thank you, Shelby, for dedicating your life to your weekly podcast, Wild Ideas Worth Living, as well as sharing your book with us, Will to Wild, Adventures Great and Small to Change Your Life. Thanks for sharing those with all of us. Thank you, Dave. You're very sweet. Shelby, it's a treat to have you on. It's a treat to have you in my ears yet again today. Well, Dave, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it and for having me on and your kindness. Like, that was awesome. I really enjoyed talking with Shelby, and I hope you enjoyed getting to know her as much as I did. I can't wait to grab my boogie board and head out into the waves to play like a 12-year-old. Super fun. Be sure to subscribe to her podcast. That's Wild Ideas Worth Living, found anywhere you can find your podcast. And if you need a great summer read that will inspire you to seek the wild in your life, head to REI or ShelbyStanger.com and grab your copy of Will to Wild, Adventures Great and Small to Change Your Life. You won't regret it. And give her a follow on Instagram as well, at ShelbyStanger. Now, I got to thank Chain and Spoke Coffee for supporting this show, and I'd welcome you to support it as well. It would be super helpful if you would rate and review on your favorite podcast platform and give us a follow on Instagram and Facebook. When you do, it really helps the show's audience grow. If you really love the show and you want to help it grow and improve, feel free to support it financially. Just look for Bike Talk with Dave at buymeacoffee.com. And when you do, I'll send you a sticker. I also have to thank BikeIowa.com for being the online host of Bike Talk with Dave. BikeIowa.com has one of the most extensive lists of cycling events anywhere, from gravel races to trail rides, 
Bike Iowa has it all, including the Core 4, which is on August 19th, and I am stoked to tackle a gravel, single track, and pavement, and I would love to see you out there as well. Check it out. Are you looking for your next epic cycling adventure? We've got one for you this summer that challenges all the surface types. When the folks at Core 4 say no surface untouched, they mean it. Champagne gravel, pavement, speedy single track, and all the level B roads. Core 4 doesn't stop at four surface types. They've got an ethos to get all bodies on bikes and it comes through initiatives which support socioeconomic justice, gender equality, and bike advocacy. It's all about community, opportunity, recreation, and engagement at Core 4. Go early, bring the fam, they've got everything. Bikes, bevs, packet pickup party at Big Grove, live music, free camping, and finish line fun for all. Do not miss the No Surface Untouched action in Iowa City on Saturday, August 19th, 150 and 25 mile options. Follow along on Instagram at Core4Bike and get in the lineup. D and I are headed to Lincoln, Nebraska on August 25th to sail our tandem through the gravel seas. We just booked our hotel for the weekend, so there's still time to sign up, and there are still hotels available, so jump on ASAP. And remember, you can find Core 4, Gravel Worlds, and so many more events, gravel, mountain bike, road, whatever you like, at bikeiowa.com. Thanks again for tuning in, and tune in next week for even more fun bike adventures. And remember, you can find every episode and stream right on your computer or any device from anywhere at biketalk.bike. Hope you have a great week. Keep the rubber side down and maybe we'll see you on the trails. <laughs>